Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, we're talking to Sharon Matheny to learn all about nutrigenomics. Sharon holds a master's of science in nutrition and a doctorate in cell and molecular biology with a specialization in cancer cell signaling and molecular neuroscience. She is also the manager of nutrition science communications for Nordic Naturals. After a career in biotechnology developing molecular diagnostics, whoa, she has found her calling in bringing evidence-based nutrition and health science information to the general public and health professionals. In this episode, Sharon breaks down nutrigenomics for us and how we can use this highly personalized information to benefit our health and longevity. And don't worry, we start very basic and dive deeper, giving you examples of what information you can expect to find out in your results and how best to adjust your diet and or lifestyle based on those results. It's amazing to hear some of the information Sharon found out and how making a simple change to her diet was the answer to correcting a consistently low vitamin D mystery. We also hear the drawbacks or other side of the story where just because you have a certain gene variant doesn't mean you automatically are affected by it. Join us to find out how you can achieve more personalized nutrition and better health outcomes through nutrigenomics. Sharon, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on, especially about a topic that to me is so fascinating, but can also be so confusing, um, to a lot of people. So I'm happy that you're here to kind of break down nutrigenomics and see how we can make people healthier, have them make better behavior changes and choices based on their genes. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Kate. So I want to just start with Sharon, because if you Google right now, nutrigenomics, one, there's many variations of definitions and two, they can be a little confusing, especially when I feel like people are still just a little bit confused about how genes can play a role in their health. Um, so if we were to talk about nutrigenomics in the most basic sense, how would you define it? Well, it doesn't surprise me that there's a lot of different um, uh, definitions and interpretations of the word nutrigenomics, uh, but at its most basic level, nutrigenomics is basically studying how your uh, genome interacts with your diet. That's basically it. And right by our genome too, we're just talking about our genes. So anything that's passed down from a family member, it's basically what we eat can then turn on or turn off that gene. Correct. Ah, okay. So you, yeah, let's, that. let's dive a little deeper there. Cause that's what you will, I see, like, you know, if you're just Googling it, it's always talking about, which I like the idea of the turn on and turn off, but I think it's a little bit too abstract Right. For people to really understand. Right. So one key phrase that you used is uh, genes that we inherit from our family. So that would be the difference between nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics. Mm. So nutrigenetics is uh, the study of the genetic information that we inherit versus nutrigenomics, 
which is the study of how diet interacts with the totality of our genome, which is also going to include things that we did not inherit. Interesting. So, so, so when we talk about when you when you uh, are interested in getting your nutrigenomics uh, panel tested, what you're really looking at for the most part is nutrigenetics, stuff that you've inherited, but not necessarily. Um, and so the difference between nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics is really a research question. So for for the um, non-research person, if you're not a scientist or, or a physician involved in research, really what you're talking about is nutrigenomics. You're, you're really talking about the inherited and the non-inherited stuff about your genome that interacts with your diet. So the shorthand way is nutrigenomics is what you're talking about. Got it. That's really good clarification. And if we were to put it, could you give us an example of, you know, let's say someone did get tested, what could come up and how could their gene respond based on their lifestyle choices? Oh, okay. Can I start with a, an even simpler example, and then we can work our way up to something more complex, which is what yes, <laughs> I love simple, simple, simple. And then yes, work us all the way up. Right. Because what you just asked is more complicated. <laughs> let's, let's start with a more simple example. So, um, so a, a very well-known and uh, uh, interaction between diet and our genomics or genetics in this case would be um, people who are genetically very high in uh, LDL cholesterol. And so this is, this is a disease, a genetic condition called familial hypercholesterolemia. And these are people who are, have very, very high levels of LDL cholesterol and they can't help it. There's nothing they can do about their diet to change that. They just have a genetic predisposition. And so they have to take uh, cholesterol lowering drugs in order to uh, decrease their LDL cholesterol into health to healthy levels. However, there are some people who also, uh, in addition to their high cholesterol, uh, LDL cholesterol, they also have high triglycerides. And this is also part of your cholesterol panel that you will get from your doctor. Well, for some people, they can take uh, LDL cholesterol lowering drugs to bring them into a healthy range, but then their triglycerides don't go into a healthy range also. So what can they do? Well, they can take uh, high levels of uh, fish oil, EPA or DHA, um, usually the combination of EPA and DHA. And so uh, you can take this. There's a, uh, there are clinical, clinical uh, drug, sorry, there are uh, drug designated versions of this. I won't use the uh, brand name, uh, but uh, you can always ask your doctor about that. But these have been clinically shown to further decrease 
uh, those high triglyceride levels. So this is an example of how you can have a genetic predisposition to very high cholesterol that does require drug interaction, but in addition to get all of your levels, your triglycerides and your LDLs into healthy levels, you can also add a dietary oil to further bring those down into healthy levels. So, and there, and there are actually many examples of this and, uh, the field of nutrigenomics is, is revealing these interactions between uh, the things we cannot control, our genetics, and the things we can, our diet, um, all the time. So, um, you so basically, I, I gave you a simple answer. I hope it came off as pretty straightforward. <laughs> uh, but but your first question was how how can we um, how can we leverage our nutrigenomics information to make uh, dietary choices. Is that, is that was your original question? Yes. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that would be great if we can dive in there, but that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And it's funny, Sharon, I had a friend in college and she was, you know, she traditionally had very, very high cholesterol levels and it ran in her family. And she always, I mean, she was in my dietetics program, but she was always felt stuck on what to do. Um, so it's really fascinating that now we can really look at our genes and, and find lifestyle choices and dietary changes that can positively affect them. Right. Exactly. Um, and in the case that in this example that I just gave you, you know, the people like that need very high levels of Mm -hmm. oil, uh, fish oil, it it can be, um, purified. It can be, um, just the, um, fatty acids purified the EPA, um, or the EPA and DHA purified. It doesn't have to be just pure fish oil, but they need to take very high amounts, like over four grams per day. So, um, but, but yes, these are dietary modifications that you can make, but, um, I know that if I were taking, uh, had to take multiple grams of, uh, EPA DHA per day, I would do it as a supplement, but you could theoretically do it with, um, with high fat, uh, fish like salmon and herring. Um, but yeah, so, uh, that's, that's kind of an extreme example. Um, what we are going to find more often is genetic variants that, um, influence or modify our dietary and lifestyle choices. And so one example of that, um, is this gene called FTO. And if you ever get your, um, nutrigenomics panel tested, it's almost guaranteed that FTO, uh, variants are going to be checked. The reason is because FTO um, was one of the very first genes that was uh, found to have an interaction with the composition of the diet, specifically the macronutrients. And so they found that, um, and this was found back in the early 2000s. So this information has been around for quite a while. Um, And so what they found was that people who have particular genetic variants of FTO they um, they actually increase their weight loss with a high protein diet, 
Mm. as opposed to, yeah, as opposed to a diet that would be more balanced, uh, what we would typically think of as a traditionally balanced uh, macro uh, macronutrient diet between carb, fat, and protein. And so um, it's, uh, that's an example of, you know, here we have a genetic tendency. So I want to make sure that people don't think, oh, I'm genetically determined uh, to have a high protein diet. Otherwise I'm overweight. That is not the case. That is definitely not the case. These FTO variants, they, they sort of just think of it as these types of variants have their finger on the balance. You know, it's like mm, a yeah. balance is perfectly balanced. If you have a particular FTO variant, there's just a finger just slightly on the balance, just slightly tipped in one direction. And if, um, and if you had a super low protein diet combined with these FTO variants, then you would, uh, probably weigh more than somebody who did not have that FTO variant on the same diet. So, but the good news, like I said, is that if you have these variants and you stick to a high protein diet, then you can have uh, much better control over your weight. That's so interesting. I know the one it's funny, Sean, the one I hear a lot of the time, and I don't know if you know, um, which specific, you know, gene variant it is, but for red wine that some people, it tends to be, you know, they do get the health benefits from red wine, but then there are others where they have variants that it actually, you know, a glass of red wine a day is not beneficial for their health. So, but I, you know, I've heard, I personally have not gotten tested. I've always been very curious to, but I've heard the list is endless when you get it. (laughs) So I don't know if you've gotten yours tested, but I'm curious, like what the process is like to get tested and then what you get back. Like, is it even interpreted for you or could people interpret it, um, incorrectly or rely on it too much? Like we were just talking about. Oh, wow. Such a, such a great question. So yes, I have had my nutrigenomics panel tested and uh, I did it purely out of curiosity and it ended up giving me a lot more information than I expected. <laughs> I may, I may, you know, me, I'm a very skeptical scientist. Oh yes. <laughs> and so it, it takes a lot to, uh, to, to make me go, ha, huh, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my nutrigenomics, um, report was very interesting. And um, so the process, um, the process is going to be the same, regardless of what company you go with. It's going to be basically the same process if you've ever had your genetic ancestry tested. Mm-hmm. And so you are provided with a, um, a little uh, a plastic cup slash tube thing that you're going to spit into. And you're going to provide, you know, between a half a milliliter and a, and a milliliter of uh, spit. And then you mail it back to the company and then uh, you will get your results uh, within a week or two. And uh, I've only used one uh, uh, company, so I can only speak to uh, the report that I got back on this one company. But uh, the the company that I used, um, they they did an excellent job 
of interpreting the results and really giving you all the information you could possibly want to to dig deep into uh, into the results. And so I got back literally what what my genetic variants were uh, down to the nucleotide level. Oh my gosh! Yes, down to the <laughs> nucleotide level. And, uh, and it also explains sort of the general statistics behind each of the variants, you know, what part of the, what proportion of the population has, uh, what kind of variant. And then it also says, this is the gene that this, uh, variant occurs in, and this is the function of that gene. And, uh, most importantly, uh, it also has a little, uh, portion that, tells you what you can do about it. <laughs> Good. That's, that's what we want, right? Exactly. That's, that's what we want. Exactly. So yeah, what's, what's, you know, I think uh, simple curiosity only, only gets you so far. I think you, you, uh, you want to be able to do something about this information that you just paid for. How many pages was it, Sharon? Um, Gosh, I don't know. Maybe ten pages. Okay, all right. So, so doable to read through. So, I'm yeah. like, I'm, I'm like picturing like a stack, like a whole book, oh. basically. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, various companies have you know different you know panels that you can order. For example, you can get like a basic nutrition test, and that's going to you know that one might be you know eight to 10 pages, something like that. But then you can also tack on things like lifestyle and, uh, activity and, um, yeah, I've even seen stuff like skin health. And, um, and then of course, a lot of these can be combined with, um, ancestry, you know, like the various ancestry companies, they'll give you, if you pay a little extra, they'll, they'll give you a basic, um, nutrigenomics, uh, panel as well. That's great. So I'm curious, Sharon, has it helped you knowing the information you have now, has it helped you make certain lifestyle choices or changes, or have you seen any improved health outcomes? Yeah, I have actually. It's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> give give it give us all of it. We want to hear yeah. like your experience. Yeah, sure. No problem. So, one of my I I got a couple of results that I was a little surprised about. Um so one of the results I got was that I was at that I am at high risk of a vitamin D deficiency because I have a genetic variant in the protein that carries vitamin D through your blood. And this little vitamin D carrier protein is really important because because vitamin D, the way it uh, gets transformed into its active state is that it needs to be transported between the kidneys and the liver. And uh, vitamin D has to be transported with this little protein. Otherwise, it won't go anywhere. And so I have a genetic variant that makes this uh, carrying process less efficient. And so um, so I need to take more vitamin D than somebody without this variant would. And what's interesting is that this actually... (laughs) uh, corresponded to my, uh, vitamin D, um, 
uh, clinical testing results that I had. I've, I've always had really low vitamin D and I couldn't figure out why. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've thought, well, okay, I'll just try a little bit more sun exposure and I'll just drink more vitamin D fortified milk. And, <laughs> and I could not get that level up. And, um, I was always like either deficient or borderline deficient. Then I get this testing result and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> here's the answer. <laughs> I'm not transporting it very well. <laughs> so I started supplementing, uh, with vitamin D and now my levels are well within a healthy range. So, so interesting. Um, now I have another example, uh, from my testing results that I think a lot of people would find interesting. Uh, this one is for, uh, it's, it's a test for, um, gluten intolerance. So mm. Yeah. So, um, and the reason I bring up these examples is because it's, it's not just specific to me in any company you go with, you get your nutrigenomics tested, you're going to get these same variants tested. So this is really relevant to anybody. Oh, Sharon. I mean, this is like the meat and potatoes. This is the good stuff. We want to hear like all your results. Like I'm over here. Like, I mean, you can't see me, but I'm, I'm like, my head is right by the screen. I'm like all ears. <laughs> You're funny. Um, well, I am happy to share it. Uh, I've, I've sent my, my original report to multiple people. <laughs> I'm like, Hey, check it out. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, um, so the, the gluten intolerance test, it's actually a, uh, it tests six different variants of the HLA gene and, uh, the, uh, clinical evidence behind this six variant test of the HLA gene is quite nice. Um, so the, um, this test showed that I have a high risk of, uh, of, uh, gluten intolerance. Now here's the thing. I eat gluten like crazy. <laughs> I have no problem with it. Uh, one of my favorite foods is seitan, which is, mm, uh, yeah. wheat gluten. I have zero, uh, symptoms of gluten intolerance. So what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? So this illustrates why it's very important to be, to have contact with a healthcare provider or a genetic counselor or a nutritionist who can explain these things. Mm -hmm. Because it turns out that even though I uh, have all six of these HLA variants that are suggestive, that are um, consistent with uh, gluten intolerance, what this test actually does, it's a test for negative prediction, not positive prediction. Now, what that means is if you have none of the variants, if you test in the low category for these HLA variants, and you do have intestinal symptoms, that means that there is over a 99% likelihood that you do not have celiac disease. Hmm. So it's really a test for exclusion, not inclusion. Got it. Could it though, Sharon, if you have the variants, let's say you're not gluten intolerant, so you don't have celiacs, 
but could it increase possible like gluten sensitivity? There is no evidence for that. Got it. Yeah. So the, and, and, um, that's related to, um, that really kind of gets into the reasons why people have gluten insensitivity in the first place. So celiac is an autoimmune disease, whereas uh, non-celiac gluten insensitivity appears to be more in the realm of allergy. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one of the possible reasons why you don't really see an overlap between celiac and gluten insensitivity. Interesting. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, I'm just sitting here thinking about someone getting their report back. And cause my next question was going to be, are there any drawbacks to getting, you know, your nutrigenomics or nutrigenetics tested? And the one drawback that just keeps popping up is the person that gets the test back and they read, you know, what variants they have and they completely change their diet just based on that without actually listening to their body and noticing like you did Sharon, which I'm sure you were paying very close attention because gluten's one of your favorite foods. <laughs> um, is this working with my body rather than just changing your whole diet and possibly lifestyle based on the report? Right. And, and I think that that is why it's so important to, to work with someone, work with somebody. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because, you know, like I said, I could have, if I didn't know any better, I could have looked at my results and been like, oh my gosh, I'm at high risk for celiac disease. I, I need to cut out all gluten from my diet, even though I didn't have any symptoms, but, um, if I had worked with somebody who knew, I mean, I already, you know, I already go into the, you know, clinical literature and find the stuff out myself. But, but if I didn't have that background, you know, I would want to work with somebody who could say, okay, well, this is actually based on clinical findings that say, you know, if you have symptoms, but you don't have the variants, then you don't have celiac disease you know, this mm -hmm. is not, this is not a diagnostic test for celiac disease, you know? Yeah. And so if, if you don't, if you're, if you're not working with a healthcare professional, then it would be, that would be a difficult result to interpret. Um, you know, and, and there are, and, and that is a significant drawback because yeah, you could be making these huge dietary changes and as, as I'm sure you well know, um, as a licensed, uh, nutritionist that a lot of people, when they make huge dietary changes, they end up excluding a lot of nutrients from mm -hmm. their diet. And then they end up in a much worse situation <laughs> than they were before. Um, and so, yeah, it's very important to make sure that you're, um, using your nutrigenomics results in, in combination with, a healthcare professional who can, um, explain the results to you. Yeah. Um, very well. Very well said. Yeah. I mean, another aspect of this is, you know, sometimes your, um, your results, your nutrigenomics results, you know, need to be put into context of what is actually happening with your body. Um, so let me give you an example. 
there's a very, very common test that would definitely be included with your nutrigenomics result. And that is with um, MTHFR, which is a uh, the enzyme in your body that converts uh, folate to the active methylated form of folate. And people who have a genetic variant, um, the most common one is uh, C677T. I only mention that because it's so <laughs> common. It's extremely common. I was going to say, Sharon, look at you knowing all these variants. Oh, <laughs> well, and I know that off the top of my head because I have this variant. <laughs> um, but it's also extremely common, especially in um, European uh, populations, uh, European uh, ancestors people with European ancestry, um, you know, up to, you know, 30 to, you know, 40% of that population has this variant. Well, if you have this MTHFR variant, um, what that means is that the enzyme is, um, not very good at converting your dietary folate into the active methylated form. And so what that means, but, but, you know, it's very easy to get around that because you can get, just take a dietary supplement, um, that's called five methylfolate or five MTH, uh, five uh, MTHF, and that is the active form. And so you're, you're, you're taking the form that your body doesn't make very well and you'll be just fine. Well, the thing is, um, the real, really the only reason to take um, the active form of folate as a dietary supplement is because of what active folate does to homocysteine. So homocysteine is a metabolite of, of uh, your energy metabolism. And if you have really high homocysteine levels, it is um, closely um, associated with cardiovascular disease risk. So you do not want high homocysteine levels. Well, active um, folate decreases homocysteine. So if you have this variant and you can't make very much um, active folate, well, that means you're going to have naturally high homocysteine levels, which would suggest higher cardiovascular disease risk. Well, interesting. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that one because I was going to say, you know, for anyone listening to, if you're trying to get pregnant or currently pregnant, this is where you want to pay attention because folate is extremely important and critical during that time too. But I didn't, I, I didn't realize this about, um, heart disease either. Yeah. And so now to be clear, it's people who have, um, who, who have, two copies of this MTHFR variant. And so of course we get, we have two copies of all of our genes, one from mom, one from dad. And um, so the people who have very high homocysteine levels have two copies of this variant. And, um, but most people in who are of European ancestry have only one copy. And so they, um, they would have mildly elevated homocysteine levels. And so now whether or not mild elevation of homocysteine is related to cardiovascular disease, honestly, it depends on the, the clinical study you read, <laughs> so, uh, but it's, but it's certainly the case that if you have two copies that, that you will be at much higher risk. 
Well, you know, like I said, all you have to do is take a folate supplement to get around that. Well, you can do that, but doesn't it make a little bit more sense to just check your homocysteine levels in your blood? Because maybe your enzyme, even if you have a variant, it might actually produce enough active folate to keep those homocysteine levels down. And then you don't have to take a supplement. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it makes sense. Um, and this is again, why it's important to work with a healthcare professional who understands the clinical practicalities of these tests, because, you know, if it were me, I would say, well, before you supplement, let's just test your homocysteine levels, because that's just going to tell us directly how much uh, folic acid activation activity we have. So, and if it's elevated, well, then you can, then you can take some folic acid. If, if it's not, then, um, then you don't have to. So, and the other aspect of working with a healthcare professional is that they will also be able to advise you on whether or not you should also be taking vitamin B6 and vitamin B12, because those, uh, those two vitamins, in addition to uh, folate, are also very important for maintaining healthy homocysteine levels. And so, so this is, uh, you know, it's, it's always more complicated than we think. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm curious, Sharon, I heard you say, so we would want them if they had high homocysteine levels getting tested, um, they would want to take the methylated form a folate, correct. And not look for a supplement. Like I'm also just thinking of women who are, you know, looking for their prenatal, if they are in the pregnancy phase and right, they would want to look for a supplement. That's not, that doesn't say folic acid, but has that active methylated form. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know what, and you know, there's no harm in taking the active form of folate, even if you don't have that variant, you yeah. know, I mean, so if you've not had your nutrigenomics tested and you don't want to, for whatever reason, you can just hedge your bets and just go ahead and take the active it's, form. It's your safety net. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not going to hurt you. It's, it's, um, there's no disadvantage to doing that. Yeah. I mean, that's like myself. I haven't, which honestly, after this conversation, I'm like, well, okay, it's time to get, it's time to get tested. But you know, when I was pregnant, that was a big thing for me was making sure my prenatal div did have a methylated, um, did have methylated folate within it. So I did have that safety net because I currently do not know, um, if I have the variant or not. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, it's, I, yeah. It's I, so I totally interesting. Care. Yeah. And it's, I'm just, I'm curious Sharon, cause I know we'll have to wrap up soon, but were there, are there any other things, even if you didn't have the variant, are there any other aspects or information that the report gives you that you just find fascinating or that you think our listeners would find fascinating? Um, not with the report itself. So the, you know, the report that I got back and I'm sure it's very similar to a lot of other companies. Um, like I said, it gave lots of great information about what you can do about, um, about the various uh, variants that you have in terms of diet and uh, possible supplement usage. 
But one thing that I, I do want to make clear uh, for the listeners is that um, we're just at the beginning mm-hmm. of, of understanding um, how our genes interact with, with our diet and, and lifestyle. And one of the most active areas of research right now is what's called polygenic interactions. And what that means is um, you have, of course, lots and lots of genes that are involved in uh, response to diet and lifestyle, but they also interact with each other. And so, for example, um, you know, I mentioned the FTO gene earlier. This is the one that um, if, if you have a variant that it's better to be on a high protein diet to maintain healthy weight, well, you know, there are, are, you know, clinical studies in progress right now that are examining the interaction of that FTO gene with other genes that you would find in a nutrigenomics report, like the vitamin D, um, uh, there's there's another gene that is uh, interacts with FTO. It's called the uh, MC4R uh, gene, and that one is actually located in the brain. And that one is related to cravings and uh, sensing satiety after you mm. eat. Well, so of course there's going to be an interaction between these two genes, and so FTO. Yeah is involved in, um, in, uh, uh, energy and, uh, uh, how, how we store energy in response to different macronutrients. And then here's this MC4R protein that's involved in what we actually seek out to eat. What, what do we actually want to eat? And then when do we feel full? So there's, there's active research looking at the interaction between these two genes and, and so for people who have variants in, in multiple genes that interact, what, what kind of behavioral and dietary modifications should they be making? So um, you will not find this on any nutrigenomics report <laughs> right now because it's, it's an area of very active study. But, um, but this is the next frontier where we'll be able to, you know, I, in the next several years, you know, you will get your report back and it'll say, oh, you don't just have this variant, but you have these, you know, three or four variants and this is how they interact. And, um, you know, so it's, it's really going to talk about personalized nutrition, you know, it's it's not just a matter of, oh, you, you need a little more vitamin D it's going to be, you know, you need a little more vitamin D plus a high protein diet plus, you know, less than 10% saturated fat plus, you know, yeah. no, it's going to, it's going to tell you all the things. And then like we were saying before, and then remembering to listen to your body and pay attention to your body and see just like for you, Sharon, just having that, you know, variant that told you that you have a higher chance of being gluten intolerant but you weren't gluten intolerant. It's just, it's so fascinating. And all I'm thinking about now is, so you're saying Sharon, in a few years, you're going to come back on the podcast and tell us all about polygenomics and how that works. (laughs) I really hope I get the opportunity to, because, (laughs) because it's, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly fascinating. No, it's so, it's so fascinating. And it is, I mean, that's what we all seek out is 
I mean, personalized anything, right. But personalized nutrition is really the goal because there is no one size fits all. Um, and I see that every day in my practice and it can be really easy to fall into that trap, especially with social media. Um, and just, I mean, the media in general and thinking that just because, you know, one way of eating works for some, you know, one person, it's not generally going to work the same way for your body. And it goes all the way down to your genes. <laughs> Absolutely. That is so, so true. And, and, you know, and it's, there are, I think one of the things that's really fascinating. Well, one of the things that I think, I think people learned a lot about science during the past two years with COVID mm-hmm. <laughs> good. But one of the things that, um, that COVID showed us is that, um, you know, just, you know, something like a viral infection manifests so differently in different individuals, depending on risk factors, but then also depending on genetics. And you can have vastly different manifestations of even something as, uh, you know, seemingly straightforward as a viral infection. Now, you know, you can just imagine that the same types of differences are happening um, with regard to diet, what, what we expose our bodies to literally on a daily basis. Um, I think it's really important for people to understand that, you know, there are not many silver bullets, you know, in, in genomics, in, in, in nutrition diet, you know, a lot of people are looking for the thing, you know, that will make them lose weight or the thing that will make them healthy. And, you know, it's rarely the case that you can just take a supplement or you can just change your diet and then everything will be fine. You know, it's, it's really all about lifestyle and, um, and, um, you know, treating your body healthy in the first place. And then on top of that, um, knowing things like your nutrigenomics then can help you sort of fine, fine tweak those things, but nothing's going to replace a healthy diet and lifestyle. Yeah. It's just another tool. And, you know, we're fortunate to have so many tools in our toolbox, but we have to use them. And like you said, there is not going to be one thing that's going to generally change, um, most, most health outcomes are what people are experiencing, but really using all these tools that we have. And that hopefully with more science and more, you know, more years to come, we'll have more tools in our toolbox. Um, Sharon, this has been so great. And thank you so much for really breaking it down for everyone. I think you did such a good job of that, especially for such a complicated subject. So we love to end every episode with a little rapid fire Q and a, so our guests can get to know you better. (laughs) So first thing that comes to mind, um, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Oh boy. Okay. The most effective thing for me (laughs) is to practice gratitude. Love it. How do, how do you practice gratitude? Well, um, when I find myself feeling stressed out, anxious, angry, sad. I mean, really (laughs) the, the whole, the whole uh, gamut of emotions that can destabilize us. Um, Whenever I feel these things, I immediately think of the things that I am most grateful for. 
And that immediately puts me, and I can be anywhere. I mean, you, I can be driving, I can be at the grocery store, I can be in the middle of a meeting. Um, and I just immediately think of what are you most grateful for? And then of course I think of, uh, my, my relationships and my pets and my, uh, my, uh, my work environment. I'm not just saying that because of this podcast, but <laughs> I think of my work environment and how fortunate I am to have such great coworkers. And there is so much to be grateful for. And it immediately centers me. Love that. And I love that you said you can do it anywhere. There is no like, oh, I need to write it down in my journal. Uh, I need to make sure it's like, no, I just stop Yeah, and do it anywhere. Exactly. Okay, love that. All right, Sharon, coffee or tea? Both. <laughs> okay. Give but, me, give me what it, your daily is. Okay. Usually. Uh, so I drink, uh, Earl gray tea, which is a black tea mm. on a pretty much daily basis. And that's just because I really like it, but, but it does have some great health benefits as well. I used to be seriously addicted to coffee. Um, I used to drink easily, you know, eight cups a day, like a lot of coffee, that's a lot, <laughs> but, but check this out. When I got my nutrigenomics panel tested, oh yeah, I got feedback on, uh, my coffee consumption, uh, and my genetics. And so there's some very nice work, um, that was done, um, out of Canada, um, uh, on the interaction between caffeine consumption and cardiovascular disease <laughs> <laughs> and how genetics, uh, interplays with that. So it turns out that I do have, uh, the genetic variant that puts me at highest risk for cardiovascular disease with high caffeine consumption. So I, yeah. So in response to that, I immediately stopped my daily consumption of coffee. I switched to black tea, which does have caffeine, but much less. And now I only consume coffee, you know, maybe a couple of times a month. So. Oh, that's, I bet that's one Sharon that a lot of people would want to know on yeah. their genetic testing report. Yeah, I know it was, it was funny because I knew that one was on the test and I was like, you're you know nervous what? about it. I know. I was like, I bet you anything. I have the high risk variant. You're like, okay, let me drink 10 cups of coffee today before I get my results <laughs> and hope I don't have a heart attack. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. Last question. And this one is my personal favorite. What is your favorite home cooked meal? Ooh. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, I, I never have it, but, but That's my okay. favorite, but my favorite home cooked meal is my mom's fried chicken, mm. mashed potatoes oh. and corn on the cob. Oh, oh my gosh, Sharon. <laughs> you just, um, I never I hungry girl right now. <laughs> That's right. I'm salivating like Pavlov's dog right now. Oh my gosh. That's a, well. And that's what, like, I love when people answer that question and it also connects to family. Oh, sure. It's like memory. Cause that's such a big part of that. Like your, what's really your favorite home cooked right. meal. It's like, it's the whole setting. It's not just the actual oh, um, yeah. food. Oh yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, Sharon, thank you again so much. I'm really hoping we can have you back on. I mean, you're so well-versed in so many topics. Um, so hopefully we can connect again soon and have you come back on to talk about something else and 
shed some more light on some of these complicated, complicated um, new tools to put in our toolkit. Anytime, Kate, you know, you know, I love hanging with you and, you know, any excuse, seriously. Me too. Contrary to what you may think, our actionable step for today's episode is not going to be that you have to sign up and get your genomes tested, but rather to seek out personalized nutrition and remember that there is no one size fits all nutrition plan that works for everyone. And like Sharon and I discussed, make sure you work with a licensed provider who can help guide you on what will work best for you and your health goals. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.